0: I've been for some time feeling like that we should go through the book of James. And you've probably got a clue on the screen as what book of the Bible you can turn to. Um, there's so much in this book, in this letter, um, that applies to us right now. Now, A.W. Tozer said, It's hard to draw a crowd when God's the only attraction because we want lights and entertainment. But sometimes, to me, the most applicable parts of our lives are when we study the Scriptures and when we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to each one of us. Today, we're only going to do an introduction and overview. I know some of you are anxiously awaiting Count it counted all joy when you encounter trials. I know you're waiting on that, but you'll just have to wait another week. Uh, and I'm only going to read one verse. Again, I did that last Sunday and I don't usually do that, but when you, when you're doing an introduction and overview, what do you read? I could have did some spot verses, but I'm just going to read one verse. Uh, if you would stand with me, James one, Verse one. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Now you can be seated. Today's a good day to be tired. Well, when you read this introduction and you read about the letter to, of James, not the letter to James, first question that comes to your mind is who is James? It's, it's good to know who's writing what you're reading. That applies not just to the Bible. Um, who is James? In 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 yesteryear, he was actually called James the Just. Very common for him to be referred to as James the Just. And this was because of what they considered his outstanding virtue, his integrity. Uh, Probably the most significant aspect of James is that he was the brother of our Lord. Um, And the verse that I'm putting up says, "Is, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother, called Mary, Are not his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Goes on to mention his sisters, but they don't name them. And I, I put the two names in bold because those are the two brothers, James and Judas, from which we get books of the Bible. This one, obviously, James, the book of Jude. Jude is also the brother of our Lord. What's interesting about that is that during the ministry of Jesus, they were all unbelievers, and so James was an unbeliever during the ministry of his brother. Uh, John seven five for not even his brothers believed in him, and so they watched for three and a half years. Imagine this: they, of course, you know, at one point they thought he was insane; they came to get him. He's insane. We're going to take him away. For three and a half years, three to three and a half years, they watched the Lord Jesus walk about all the things he did, all the people he healed, all the blind eyes he opened, all the lame legs he he straightened. For three to three and a half years, they watched. And yet they still did not believe. Now, I don't know if that had something to do with growing up, With the Lord Jesus, we don't, I don't know, somebody may, how, who's, who's the second born to the Lord and, and what ages they were growing up. You know, maybe they got tired of him being perfect all the time. I don't know. (laughs) But for whatever reason, none of them were believers. As a matter of fact, at one point, they were urging him, they were saying, Hey, You know, all these other people, I'll put it in today's terms. All these other people, they take out uh, billboards and they get on TV and promote their ministry and put their name in lights. And you don't do any of that. You're just walking around kicking up dirt. You need to go do this and you need to be basically they were urging him towards self-promotion. So not only did they not believe in him. They didn't have a clue what he was about, but they wanted him to promote himself a little more. Obviously, he was not going to do that. First Corinthians 15, 7 talks about how Jesus, after he was resurrected from the dead, appeared to Peter and several other of the disciples. And then it says, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Then he appeared to James. Most people believe that this post-resurrection appearance of Jesus is what led to his conversion. Most people believe this is when he came to a realization. I mean, I mean, it's one thing to see your brother for three years. It's another thing to see all that he did. It's another thing to see him die. But when you see him risen from the dead, now that's a whole different deal. And he was not a ghost. He was a person that had risen from the dead. Okay. Now we might need to reconsider this thing. We don't, I don't know when Jude went through the same experience as James, but we're not studying the book of Jude. So we'll just be ignorant. But at some point, obviously he comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, saving knowledge of his brother. How would, how would it be, it would be interesting to say, and I think I wrote this in the Kernels of Truth, and some of you wish you could get it, uh, off, but we'll get it mailed out soon. February. This is February the 20th. We're still working on it. <laughs> that Mary, uh, at some point in the Colonels of Truth, I wrote, Mary said to her son and her Lord. What a dynamic. So James, Is converted by the Holy Spirit after encountering, encountering his resurrected brother. And now he can say, my Lord and my brother, or vice versa. Some point, at some point, he becomes what I'll call the head of the Jerusalem council. You could call him the senior pastor. You could call him whatever you want. Doesn't matter to me. But he's obviously the leader of the Jerusalem council. Now, you should read the entire chapter of Acts 15. I'm obviously not going to do that, but I'll give some spot checks here. Uh, Peter, when Peter is in the prison and, and 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 the angel comes and walks him out. Remember the story? He goes uh, to John Mark's house, John Mark's mother's house. He knocks on the door. And the girl named Rhoda answers the door. And so she goes back to the other people who are praying for Peter's release from prison. Don't forget that. She goes back to those people who are praying and said, hey, uh, Peter's at the door. <laughs> they said, no, there is no way that's Peter. We're praying for Peter to be released from prison. There's no way that's him. If you, if you see anything, it's his ghost. Literally, that's what they said. You go back, and they went back, and Peter said, oh, no, I'm, this is me. Ultimately, they let him in. And I guess they stopped praying. I don't know. <laughs> but they let him in, and he wasn't in there very long before he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. He made a distinction. Acts 15, there's the controversy of circumcision, and they're trying to decide what to do regarding the Gentiles. And the Bible says, James replied, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. He's obviously, I'm I'm hammering this home because unbeliever, head of the council. I don't know the time span. Brothers, listen to me. And when he's done, he says to the council, and he says to all of those present, Therefore, my judgment is. And, of course, they agreed. They wrote a letter. And Paul and Barnabas and others began to circulate that letter out and about. But James took the lead. And finally, in Acts 21, on the following day, Paul went out with us to James. And all the elders were present. I'm not trying to promote James or to elevate him any more than he already is, but I want us to see the, the, the distinction of where he was and where he came to. Uh, Josephus teaches us that he was stoned to death in A.D. 62. But in the meantime, from that moment that he was converted, he served the Lord. And notice how he opens up this letter. James, a servant. Of God, bond servant, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, servant. And some people have labeled him the, a bond servant of bond servants. But he writes this letter uh, because there's there's some things on his mind. He, he didn't just have an overabundance of ink and parchment; they wanted to do something with. But he had some things on his mind regarding these folks, his target audience that he's writing this to, while while we know that through the Holy Spirit, it's to us too. But when he was writing it, he was writing it to a group of Jewish Christians who had been scattered or dispersed. You notice he said, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. And they had been scattered throughout the countryside. So they were Christians, they were all Jewish Christians, but they weren't necessarily able to be together in a geographical location. And he's he's writing them because there's some things that have come up because they were dealing with troubles, with persecution. Um, because of that, conflict had entered the churches. Now, we, we know that conflict never enters churches today, but at least we have biblical accounts of what that looks like. And usually when there are troubles of some kind, then somebody wants to place the blame. If he hadn't have done that, if she had have done more, and the list goes on. And so he begins to write this letter basically because of these troubles, because of the conflicts. And again, as I don't know that he's a bona fide apostle, but as the head of that council, he has the authority from God to say to them, this is what you need to do. He said to the the disciples, listen to me. Because of the conflict and because there were issues going on in these churches, then you've never seen this happen before, but again we have an example. Uh, They began to be be splintered into factions. Hmm. I remember uh, being in the Baptist church as a teenager and uh, it doesn't matter which one, you wouldn't know it anyway. But you had issues began to arise, and then you had factions. You go to business meetings on Wednesday night. Of course, we kids we loved it. When business meetings were entertaining, we loved it when our pastor came out from behind the pulpit and he would say, "I'm coming out from behind the sacred desk, so I can call this business meeting to order." But we woke up because it was about to get entertaining. Arguing over what color carpet, what color to paint the pump house out back. Some people inviting other people outside not to look at the stars. But when you, when you allow troubles and outside pressures to get in, you're going to have conflicts and they're going to be factions. In addition to that, and we'll see all this as we go through this book, but in addition to that, because there were conflicts, because there were trouble, because they had splintered into factions, some people had thrown up their hands, I guess, or lost hope, for whatever reason, they began to adopt a worldly lifestyle. They began to compromise what they knew to be true and what they knew to be godly. And they began to rationalize, which... Again, nobody today does that, but at least we know what it looks like. They begin to rationalize and they compromise their morals and their convictions. I guess, while they didn't have the New Testament, I guess they ignored the content of the scriptures. Which, in all seriousness, we do too much of that today. So he's writing this to those folks. You see what I mean when I say that this letter is applicable in 2022? I mean, he's writing it a long time ago, but you look at the things going on in our world and even more, and you heard me say this, but I'm not so concerned about what's going on in the world as I am what's going on in the church. I don't mean this church, but the church. Because in some, in some ways, the church, and especially parts of the church have compromised their morals, have lost their convictions, are more interested in smoke machines and fancy lights than preaching the truth of God. I don't want to be a fuddy-duddy, or but that's just the truth. His style of writing in this letter is a style that I would call imperative. There's 108 verses in the letter of James. 54 of them are clear commands. Now we Americans, we don't like people commanding us to do anything. Clear commands. That's his style. The other part of his style is that James does not play games. Did you notice there was no salutation? And when you get to the end of the letter, there's nothing there either. He's all business. He's saying, this is what we need to deal with, and we need to deal with it now. Forget all the fluff. I don't have any fluff. I don't know if that was just his personality or his upbringing. He's raised in the same house as Jesus, but, of course, he wasn't Jesus. Fifty-four commands. So then we look at the content of the letter. Again, this is just an overview. As we start next Sunday go at at chapter 1, verse 2, we will obviously deal with some of these, all of these, in a little more detail. You could sum up the content of this letter and the intent of James by saying, by talking about living the faith. Remember when he he writes, and you'll see it when we get there if you haven't already, be doers of the word. And not hearers only. Be doers. In that light and in that vein, we will see and you will see that James and the Apostle Paul are not in, say not, in conflict. There are many teachers today that try to paint James as opposing Paul because Paul talked a lot about grace and James says, faith without works is dead. Show me your works. Show me your faith. When we get to that, you'll see that there's no conflict. But his main theme is not, is not just being saved. It's not just having faith. His main theme is living the faith. And he's, that's when he says, if you're not living the faith, don't tell me you got it because I don't believe you. He's looking for active Everybody say active. Active Active faith rather than just academic doctrine. Doctrine is good. We need good doctrine. But if you're just dealing in an academic sense, then you haven't gotten anywhere. Active faith. If the faith that I have does not cause me to act or to respond in some way, then I need to really examine the faith I have. I wrote a Kernels of Truth many years ago called Faith in God, and I put three periods, dot, 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 period. Because we want to have faith in healing. We want to have faith in miracles. We want to have faith in finances and all these things, and we have misplaced our faith because our faith must be in God himself. Then all of that other stuff is fine. It, take, it gets taken care of, but... We don't need to misplace our faith. I recently heard the statistics that and this is using very conservative terms. Very conservative. They said that somewhere between two and a half and four million people watch cable news every night. And so the people that were Stating these statistics said, so let's just assume it's four million instead of two and a half. And let's assume that in a five-day span that every night there's a different four million. Nobody watches it twice during the week, which we know they do. But let's just assume that nobody watches it twice. So we're talking about 20 million people watching cable news In a week's time. And again, that's using very, very conservative numbers. Could be half of that. At the same time, they stated that 25% of America in a a poll stated that they read their Bible multiple times in a week. Sometimes as many as four and five and six. Now on on the surface, This sounded pretty good. And it is good. So they said, okay, we'll take, yeah, 380 Americans. Let's make it 280 to allow for little children and such. So 280 million, 25%. So we have 70 million people in America who stated that they read their Bible multiple times in a week. Good news. And then again, not so good news. If 70 million people are reading their Bible multiple times during the week and only 20 million are watching cable news, and it could be half of that, why is our country in such a mess? It's like Tony Evans said in one of his books with all the pastors and all the teachers and all the deacons and all the Sunday school teachers and all the lay people and all the, he just went through the whole list. Why are, have we got this mess? And he said, because where are the disciples? I would not for a moment suggest that any of those 70 million should stop reading their Bible. But I and James, not James Owen, he's not here today, this James, would suggest that we need to somehow allow that Four or five days a week of Bible reading to become living faith and not just head knowledge. Not just, you know, people always say, well, I don't know the Bible very well. I said, do you know the Lord? I mean, it's nice to know the Bible. And really, the more you know the Bible, the more you know the Lord. But you don't have to be some scholar. And I'm saying that what James is saying is that we need the Word of God to become active in our life. And not just something that we read and know oh, that's nice. What is the effect of all that? What the effect is that a lot of people who are naming the name of Christ. I'm not suggesting they're not going to heaven. But their faith is basically dead. Because they're satisfied with just reading some words. And not allowing the Holy Spirit to apply those words to their life. I mean, the very first thing James says once we get past this introduction is, hey, you got some troubles coming your way and what you need to do is be happy about it. Wait a minute, that's not what I signed up for. There are a number of topics that we'll see as we go through this book. I don't know that I will necessarily, or necessarily not, use this as an outline. And I don't know that there might be more we add in, but I see some topics as we go through, and I've already stated the first one, and that is the reality of trials. The reality that life is sometimes, as Kevin said earlier, sometimes difficult. It's challenging. And and I'll hasten to say, don't go looking for trials. Don't go looking for, for things to suffer. You'll get plenty. You just live. You'll get plenty. But I want to tell you that it's God's will for you to suffer. It's God's will for you to be challenged. It's God's will for you to have to deal with pressureized circumstances. But it's also God's will to bring you through that in victory. The word perseverance is to stand upright under. So you have pressure, pressurized circumstances in your life. You have things that you feel are crushing you. So you stand up underneath all that. Cause it's not, that's not going to crush you. It squeezes you. As we were talked about last Sunday, makes new wine out of you, shapes you, but it doesn't eliminate you. Or, or stop you. The reality of trials. He begins his letter there. And he, he really has some some good uh, encouragement for us. Then he begins to talk about the word of God implanted. Receive the implanted. Some versions will say engrafted word. And he majors on the word of God. As being the source. The rest of his letter is rooted in that truth, that we must embrace the Word of God, we must desire the Word of God, not just from, as I said earlier, not just from an intellectual point standpoint, but from an applicable standpoint. And he's saying to these folks, and he's saying to anybody by the Holy Spirit that will listen, receive the Word. You say, well, I already received the Word. Well, James would say, well, then act like it. If you're not going to act like it, then I'm going to tell you to receive the word. I'd like to have met this guy. Him and the Apostle Paul was some rounders, I'm telling you. Then he deals for a while in human relationships. How do we deal with people? How do we deal with one another? If you hadn't figured it out yet, the book of James, the letter of James is very practical. He's looking for a faith that is working But it's working on behalf of other people. You know, most anybody that gets a glimpse of God, a glimpse of of the Holy Spirit, and really God touches them, they're looking for somebody else to help, hopefully. Well, then he moves into what I call the power of the tongue. Power of the tongue. My father-in-law always said he was going to announce one Sunday or before Sunday that he was going to be speaking, uh, preaching on speaking in tongues on Sunday. And then go to James 3. Power of the tongue. And James obviously has some insight in this. But we understand as we study that passage, we will understand how much harm the tongue can do. The scripture says, "Death and life are in the power of the tongue." Too many times we go to the death side because of the troubles in this in these churches. There was dissension in the community, and the dissension in the community was due to, to people running their tongues, running their mouths, talking. You need to pray for sister so and so. Did you hear she's having an affair? Let's pray for her. That's just disguised gossip, that's all that is. And they were doing this. And so he's sp- he spends quite a bit of time saying to these readers, That thing that thing rattling around in your mouth, that's causing all your problems. You gotta tame that thing. If you don't tame it, we're still gonna have dissension and issues. He spends a, spends a little time talking about the wisdom from above. Talking about all the things that they're dealing with. And then he begins to say, look, there's a wisdom from above that's available to you. And it's not like all that other stuff. It's pure. It's effective. It's wisdom. In chapter 4, he, he deals with the source of conflict. What's going on when people are having conflicts, when they're having dissension? What's going on in the heart of man when there's conflict? He deals with it pretty clearly in in dealing with the the source of conflict and how that we should relate to God instead of having conflict with our brothers and sisters. That That naturally moves the content of the letter to humility before God walking humbly before God. So if you're going to overcome the issues that he's identifying with these churches, you ultimately have to lay your life down before God in humility and allow him to, to move and, and move you along. He's, there's a pretty clear in chapter 5 where he says what the Lord wills. You, you say you're going to go over here and you're going to go over there, Why don't you quit saying that and find out what God wants? Why don't you quit deciding your own destiny and let God decide your destiny? And so he gets very clear um, in doing what the Lord wills. He even says this, For him who knows to do good and does it not, it is a sin. What the Lord wills. And then what I call just conclusionary, uh, exhortations. He finishes out chapter 5 with just some exhortations. Of course, one of those is, we've used quite often, is there any sick among you? Let them call for the elders and pray for the sick And the prayer of faith. And then we, last Sunday, we quoted and used the verse, the effective prayers of the righteous are very powerful. So he finishes out the letter with these exhortations. What we don't know I don't know. Somebody may is what the response was with these churches. We don't know how they responded to this letter when it was read to them in the various locations. We don't know if there was repentance or anger. We don't know if, yeah, he's right or if it was who's he to tell us what to do. We don't know that. What we can know is our response. Not just Abundant Life Church, but our response. We know that because we'll watch it. I pray that as we go through this letter, that God would speak to each one of us and show us where we are or where we're not. And then help us to make that adjustment. But once again, you're going to see throughout these five chapters, you're going to see very practical very everyday not uh, wisdom stuff to help us through life. And James, like I say, James is no fluff, no no games. This is what we need to do. This is what's wrong, and this is what it needs to look like. And I pray as we go through, I don't know how, how long it's going to take, uh, but however long it takes. I think when I did the book of Acts, it took us a year to the day. Well, that was 28 chapters. This is only five. But I think, I pray that not only when we get done, but as we go through, that God will speak to us. And I pray that the truth and the content of this letter will not only affect us, but somehow be, affect our world around us because it looks awfully familiar. When you read his letter, I've just finished out by saying a very practical and applicable letter to all the followers of Jesus Christ and especially those in 2022. It's easy to read this. Yeah, that was way back then. Boy, it don't sound like way back then. It doesn't sound like way back then. It sounds like today. And when you talk about the church, it really sounds like today. So I pray that this sort of wets your appetite. If you want to read the whole book before next Sunday, be my guest. I encourage you to. There's nothing wrong with reading ahead. Read ahead. But I pray that as we go through it each Sunday, uh, that you will come ready to hear what God says. Um, I pray that you will come with an open heart and an open mind. And I pray, and you heard me say this, that you have a desire to study the Scriptures and see what the Scriptures say. I know we could do more exciting things. I can't, but somebody could. But the most exciting thing that I know to do is study the Scripture and let God speak to us. And so I pray that you come anticipating what the Holy Spirit would say to you through the Word of God through the brother of our Lord, James. You okay with that? Stand. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you anointed our brother and your natural brother, James, to take out his quill or whatever he wrote with and write these words down. I thank you that you redeemed him maybe when you appeared to him after having been raised from the dead, and that he became almost instantly a gift to the church, and thus a gift to us. Let us read his words and study his words as those that your Holy Spirit has anointed him to write. That you spoke to him by your spirit and caused him to write these words down. And let these words not just be information for us, but that let them be active words of God that will cause formation in our lives. Let it become real. I pray that you would open each one of our minds and hearts. So today we thank you for our time together. We thank you for the opportunity and the privilege of worshiping you, of praising you, studying your word, offering our resources to you, and we do it together. We pray, Lord Jesus, that all that we've done would be pleasing in your sight as you sit on your throne beside the Father. We pray today in the name of Jesus and everybody said, amen. Amen. I told you I wasn't going 56 minutes. (laughs) He dismissed.